Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. John Diaz. In this episode, John and I will discuss the Spurs' slide on defense, some roster notes, and we'll shine the player's spotlight on Jakob Pertl's play this season. Let's go ahead and get started. John, how are you doing today? You know, I know I know it's no secret. We've put Forever Toros on the Spurs cast feed, and thank you for allowing us to do that. But hey, this is a back-to-back for me. I think I kind of need a little bit of load management here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when I when I ask you to, I mean, like I said, I'm doing like a, a rotation here with all our Project Spurs writers, and so, you, you know, it's been a while since I've had you on, so, so it's your turn again on the Spurs cast, <laughs> unfortunately, just on the eve of, of you uh, just recently recording the, the Forever Toros uh, podcast. So let's go ahead and ju- jump right into this episode, John. Um, you know, the Spurs, it's been, it's been a rough week for them. Um, you know, 500 week is from, from when I last recorded, so so there's been four games played since uh, since I was last, since I last had a Spurs cast episode. They went two and two, and, and the reason why I say it's rough, even though, you know, 500 sounds pretty good. I mean, decent, you know, it's because of the way they lost and to the teams that they lost to were the reasons why it's very concerning for for the Spurs, uh, you know, how, how they played this past week. So let's go back to last Friday. They got a really good win. Um, they, they, they beat the Denver Nuggets by, by 10 points in San Antonio. They, they actually got a 14-point lead on the Nuggets. Um, then on Saturday, it was the second out of a back-to-back. They, they lost by 17 points to the Memphis Grizzlies. They trailed by as many as 19 points. Now, the Spurs were behind for most of that game, but then in the fourth quarter, they did make it a five-point game with five minutes left, but then Memphis kind of just went on a late run and, and put the game apart. Um, then on Monday... Uh, the Spurs just basically got got it was a blowout. They they got torn apart by Memphis. They lost by 31 points. Um, in this one, they trailed by as many as 31 points. Um, and then and then on Wednesday, it looked like the same thing was about to happen. There was a pattern here where where a team, the Minnesota Timberwolves, who didn't have Carl Anthony Towns and a few, a few more of their players, uh, they actually were up by the they were up on top of the Spurs by 16 points going. I mean, at one point in that fourth quarter, but the Spurs used a six minute run basically to, to to get to get back into the game and actually take the lead. And they ended up holding on for the win for a three point win against the wolves so again two and two of this past uh, four games uh you know they're 12 and 10 overall it is better than last year last year at this point they were eight and 14 <clears throat> two games um so i, I guess like the, the pattern there that that we really saw against the, the grizzlies and also you know in those first three quarters of that uh, that minnesota game where, where that their defense uh was just falling apart which you and i are going to dive into that a little bit but also just like you, you know it was just almost like a repetitive factor of, of teams scoring the paint at will and then also getting a bunch of threes and shooting well from three so what have you thought about these last four games uh, I feel like the you know two and two seems okay. I I could understand splitting against Memphis because these little mini series are kind of difficult mm-hmm. uh, to to kind of win both. You know, it, it's almost a, kind of like a playoff atmosphere. Uh, I would have expected them to beat Minnesota and maybe split with Memphis and lose to Denver and lose one to Memphis. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, the the whole thing with the Denver game, 
it, it felt like everything that we've talked about with the struggles in the first quarter and how to get going and always fighting from behind, it felt like they rectified that against Denver. And I know they blew that lead. I think it was in the third quarter that they blew it and they came back and kind of closed it up in the fourth uh, behind Keldon. And, you know, DeRozan had 30 and 10. Murray actually looked really good with the 26 points. That was, that was really good to see a, a full team effort. And then they go in there and lay a complete egg against Memphis. Um, and my, my biggest thing with the Memphis game was it's, it just comes down to effort and tenacity sometimes. You know, you, you can look at the numbers all you want, but this team struggled against Memphis the first time around. Yeah. And then to have Memphis come in your home gym, and I, I I put this on Twitter too. I just remember I don't understand why Demar was going after Dylan Brooks. You you had five points or six points that whole game. That was your second bucket of the game, and I get that maybe he's getting under your skin and you want to body him. And you're obviously a better player and have a better career than Dylan Brooks. But what what was the point of attacking him? It doesn't do any good when Demar gets a technical foul. It, it always seems like when DeMar gets teed up that it's kind of like it, it almost sucks the energy out of the team. It doesn't amp people up like when Pop normally gets tossed. Uh, and then the worst part is Dylan Brooks is the guy you have to worry about. The guy you have to worry about is John Morant. Yeah. And he showed that right after that. And, you know, you've got him celebrating on the home floor. And then coming to the second Memphis game, they had they, they got going really early. And, and actually, let me backtrack real quick because I, I also pointed this out on Twitter. Lonnie Walker hit that that jumper to end the first half and then hit a three-pointer to start the second half and where it felt like the Spurs could start the little comeback against Memphis in that first game, mm-hmm. Lonnie never saw the ball again. And I just don't understand where – I know the whole hot hand fallacy. You think like, hey, this guy's made a couple shots, keep feeding him. It, it's a total farce. Yeah, I get that. But Lonnie needed to be more involved in the offense. If he's the only one being able to score, especially on a night where DeRozan didn't have it, what is the point of going away from Lonnie in that situation? And you lose by 17, and that's exactly what happens. And then you go into the second game, and LaMarcus gets going early, and that's it. Memphis just closes the door on them. And it's a problem when you have a lot of smaller guys, and Memphis is a very large team, very athletic. Very, they can switch everything. And even Kyle Anderson is out there yeah. making the Spurs look bad, which, you know, he's got that motivation factor going for him, but that doesn't take away from the fact that Memphis is a bigger, stronger team. And for people to go out there and trash them, I, I, a lot of Spurs fans were confused as, like, Memphis was bad. Memphis wasn't a bad team. They came in on a five-game winning streak, beat teams like Brooklyn and Philly and Phoenix, and Ja only played in two of those. Like, that, that's not a terrible team. These guys only missed the playoffs last year because they got injured at every step in the bubble. And the Minnesota game, I didn't get to watch a lot. I was really honestly mentally checked out after seeing what Minnesota did to them. Minnesota <laughs> has the worst net rating in the NBA. There, there was no reason that game should have ever been a double-digit lead for them. I get that they've been injured, but D'Angelo Russell, to me, doesn't make that much of a difference to that team when you've got the advantage at almost every other position and you let people like jared vanderbilt and anthony edwards kind of just dictate the pace and the tempo so good for them to you know i think the spurs only they attacked the basket really well in that fourth game in the fourth quarter against minnesota they only had one shot come from outside of the paint they held minnesota to 18 points in the fourth Mm -hmm. but you can't just keep fighting from behind like that these guys are tired we're going to get more into that but these guys are already tired as it is and you've got the rodeo road trip coming up this isn't going to get any easier for that squad 
Yeah, so I want to go back to Memphis real quick. I really feel like, you know, a- after three games, it, it, you kind of see a pattern here. And there, there's two things that Memphis does really well. And, I, and I, like you kind of mentioned, you know, for one, their size. So I just really think that they're a bad matchup for the Spurs. So I know that defensively what they do to the Spurs, I mean, yeah, defensively Memphis, what they <coughs> do to the Spurs very well is if you look at Keldon's paint numbers, you look at De- uh, De- DeRozan and also DeJounte Murray, Memphis does a really good job of backing off those guys, playing a lot more zone uh, defensive looks, basically saying beat us from three. And, and when you can take those players out of it, you know, out of their offensive rhythm, them well then it gets tougher to make them you know want to put the, forth their effort on the on the opposite end which obviously doesn't work out well uh, for the Spurs so that's one part is that Memphis really stalls San Antonio's offense especially in, in how they take away the paint and I think what you just said there is a big part of it is that just their size that they have and their physicality and then the second part is um, on offense what Memphis does very well is what the Spurs you know uh, really struggle with so like you know a quick player like John Morant just kind of driving driving into the into the into the paint doing whatever he wants in terms of of dishing out to teammates or scoring uh you know either close to the rim or with those little those little floaters and one thing that the Spurs like to give up and, and pretty much all the teams want to give up is called the non-restricted area shot which is like that little floater range in the paint mm-hmm. and you, you know it's a very inefficient shot so you want to give that up as a defense however Memphis is like a top five team in accuracy from that range so like in a way you know I just think of Brandon Clark making all these little jump hooks and John Morant and you know Kyle yeah. Anderson and they did a lot of that but again and normally you say you know yeah you, you want your opponent taking that but again Memphis is actually pretty good at that now it's not a, obviously a shot that you want to rely on full, full time but again so I think that that Memphis in a way is a really bad matchup and then just again their players just made a lot of threes guy uh, Gorgie Jank had like three or four in one game and and just like every bench player was making a three for Memphis on the, in those two games it, it was it was crazy and so and normally you do want to say yeah teams are just getting hot against the Spurs but I mean you and I are about to get into this a little bit it's like every night though every team's hot against the Spurs and yeah. there's a reason for that they're, they're, they're dead last in, in, in uh, accuracy for opponents so before we go into the defense which we will we will dive into a little bit later Spurs cast listeners let's go through some um, late, latest um, roster news and, and, and also some award um, news um, nominee news should I say so right now, as John and I are recording this on a Thursday evening, uh, the Spurs uh, were without LaMarcus Aldridge and Rudy Gay in that game against uh, Minnesota. Both players have a hip injury, um, and uh, LaMarcus, according to Coach Pop, will miss a few games, um, but it's nothing too, too concerning. You know, it's nothing that's going to require surgery. And then Rudy Gay uh, should probably be back on Saturday when the Spurs uh, have their next game. So, he, uh, you know, Rudy's not expected to be out for, for a long time. Um, also, some news, uh, so some roster movement news is uh, Lucas Simonic and Trey Jones uh, have both been assigned to the to the G League bubble in Orlando. So, so John, so like you mentioned, you know, you you, you record the, the Forever Toros podcast. Can you give the, the listeners just some background on uh, you know why, why you think the Spurs sent them there and, and you know kind of what to expect? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty obvious with those two. You know, Luca does. There's no minutes for him, if, especially if there's no minutes for Trey Lyles. Uh, you you need to focus on Luca's development, and lack of a summer league and training camp is really hindering what what you would hope is the second year jump for Luca, so this is more like a first year extended kind of a, a, a trip for him uh Trey Jones is pretty obvious you know the minutes aren't there for him either uh but he he already seems to have a little bit of a rapport with Luca that uh they talked about in their media availability and I think it's a good thing for Trey to get used to running the offense because there's potentially a, a future for him there if the, if the Spurs can't find another guard to maybe, if Patty decides, hey, I want to contend for a championship this offseason and doesn't want to stay in San Antonio for whatever reason, that you, you would need to start developing Trey into that kind of role. And I'm sure they could find a veteran free agent point guard to bridge the gap there, but you need to start letting Trey Jones be able to handle the ball. And you invested in, a, you know, a real contract with him as a second round pick. So obviously there's a belief there and he's a very great defensive point guard. 
you also want to see what else he has besides his defense. And it seems like he's a very good shot creator and a very good uh, guard that drives into the paint. Uh, with Luca, Luca, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you need that we're still kind of waiting to see on what's going on with him because mm-hmm. Pop praised him and said that, hey, he's developed a work ethic and developed a little bit of confidence. That's step one. But you would like to see the consistency and the effort on a nightly basis because the little bit of audition that he had against Utah wasn't great. Uh, you know, driving into the paint kind of uncontrolled and getting blocked and, you know, he hit the one three-pointer that's great and all, but you need to see what he can do as an actual rotational player. If he's going to be a consistent stretch four, is he going to be able to drive, take people off the dribble? He claims he can guard one through five. I don't believe it, but I would like to see that. Uh, he did mention he put on about 15 to 20 pounds of muscle uh, this off season, which is really good to see. And <laughs> there was a, a joke that we made that maybe the whole 15 pounds was just an in ink because people asked him about his tattoos as if it was something <laughs> as if it was something new. But he says it's just something he never really had time for before. And I, I think the problem the problem people have is that they want to see what Luca can do and think that the G League stats will translate into the NBA. Because one of the Austin writers had asked, um, from the newspaper in Austin, had asked him if he sees himself as a a replacement to LaMarcus Aldridge. And that's too much to ask a kid that's 21 that has been in the United States for so long and hasn't really even played real NBA minutes. His his focus needs to be just cracking the rotation and being able to contribute in in a proper fashion. You know, Trey Lyles isn't a LaMarcus Aldridge replacement. Hell, Luka isn't either. Uh, these guys are their own players, but Luca's skill set is also completely different than what Aldridge came into the NBA with and what he's developed. Uh, so it, it should be a good experience for them. They've obviously got some other players that, you know, Austin does go in there and invest their time into drafting other players. They've got uh, – the, none of the two-way players are in Austin, so they won't have to worry about trying to take anyone's minutes or anything. It's just mm-hmm. going to strictly be, hey, Luca and Trey can get their development in. And we'll see where, where it goes from there. They've got five games this first week. It's going to be plenty of uh, whatever they can handle early on because they've only got so much time to be in that bubble before they have to head back. Yeah, so again, you know, that's the opportunity to, to catch Lucas Simonich and, and Trey Jones in, in a, you know, vital roles with the Austin Spurs uh, coming up. And, and, you know, Ben and I kind of talked about this last week, and I really feel like, you know, right now there's <coughs> there's not as much pressure right now on Luca, but, you know, he really has to show something in this in this bubble because next year, I mean, if Rudy goes and signs elsewhere, if uh, Trey Lyles goes and signs elsewhere, well, then guess what? That four spot is open. But, you know, if the Spurs aren't, aren't you know, sold on that, that Lucas are, you know, ready to go next year in terms of getting a rotation spot, well, then maybe they look at a, a player in the draft or with free agency. You know, with all that cap space that they're going to have, so yeah, again, it is going to be interesting uh, to watch Luca there uh, in the in the Orlando bubble. And then just the last um, bit of news here is, um, you know, um, Demar Derozan was nominated for the for the Western Conference Player of the Month uh, for December and January, according to the NBA. And you know, again, he wasn't selected as a Player of the Month, but it's been multiple weeks now where where you know Derozan's been the, the one consistent spur who's kind of been in those Player of the Week nominees and now the Player of the Month nominee. And so, uh, John, in the event that the Spurs, um, you know, were to get an all-star again, I think that, that the only case that happens is if they, you know, they're definitely like a playoff team by the time the coaches put in their reserve votes. Because right now the, the first uh, ballot of fan votes came out and, and none of the Spurs players were in the top 10 of either guards or front court players. So we don't think the fan, they're going to be, you know, the starter category because of the fan votes. But uh, if, 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 if the, let's just say the coaches were to choose an all-star, uh, DeRozan, in your opinion, is probably the, the most likely case, right? I mean, to get the all-star, if, if it's a Spurs instead of uh, maybe DeJounte Murray or Kelton Johnson? 
Absolutely, and especially if they're over 500, I think it, without a doubt it's going to be DeMar. Uh, you know, Keldon's probably making a little bit of a case for future nominations, and same thing with DeJounte, but I don't think you can really send anyone else off of that team except for DeMar. But <laughs> if the coaches are the only, going to be the only way he gets in since Clay Thompson, who hasn't played a basketball game in 18 months, <laughs> has more votes than DeMar DeRozan, so... Yeah, and then Andrew Wiggins I saw had it was like in the top ten as well. I don't even get me started on yeah. that one. Holy so, cow! Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I know the, the fan vote is ridiculous, but um, you know, I, I was just gonna say, you know, for, for, before you know these results came out today, these fan votes, um, uh, I was just kind of under the under the impression that let's just say the Spurs were you know a plus five hundred record by the time All Star mm-hmm. voting uh, ballots are due, and they're you know they're in the top like maybe six, I mean you know top seven maybe. I think that it was like almost a lock that a Spurs player would get in, but then you know I, I was just checking Twitter and I saw Trevor Zick kind of just talking about positions and yeah there's already a lot of spots in that like guard uh, um, area of, of, of the roster already filled out yeah. with players that we expect so so you know it, I mean, we'll get into that in the future Spurs cast if it really looks like you know one of the Spurs players will, will most likely get you know get get a bid there for the All-Star uh, nomination so um, yeah I mean there's actually going to be some jostling there in terms of, of seeing who, who's going to get left out uh, uh, with all the guards because uh, the problem is that, uh, that DeMar's in, you know considered a guard in, in this uh, in this group uh, when you look at the, at the at the voting where he's where he's at for his position so again, we'll continue to see what happens with DeRozan and, and uh, you know whether or not he gets um, into the All Star into the All Star game. You All know right, what's funny to... about that too? Go ahead. Is, uh, what's funny about that too is I just remember in the off season and I think right after the Harden trade too, people thought, hey, Demar's a lock now that Demar's gone, Russ is gone. Why wouldn't you vote Demar in? And there goes Clay Thompson. So <laughs> <laughs> Clay Thompson. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, oh, yeah, that was, that was crazy. The no, joke's on us, know. man. I don't know how. Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> go there. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and move on to our second topic. And again, this topic doesn't seem as urgent after you know after the Spurs made that come that come from behind win uh, with, with the coming back from 16 points against Minnesota and and kind of what John mentioned earlier. It was the fact that they that they put together an 18 I mean, a quarter where they held the, the Wolves to 18 points. But before that, they weren't doing that to any to, to Memphis or, or Minnesota before that fourth quarter. So uh, one thing we've seen though, it's been a few weeks now and. You know, just a few weeks ago, I was I was on here on the Spurs cast talking about how the Spurs are back to being a top ten defense. Well, that's not the case anymore. We've started to see a slide here uh, with this team, and so that's why I really want to focus on the defense in, the, in this conversation with John and just kind of let's go through some of the numbers. And I, you know, I don't want to go go too too stat heavy, so I just want to focus on, on some of the things that they're worst at in the league, and then some of the things that that, that they're still doing very well in the league. Uh, so overall, right now they're seventeenth in defensive rating, at allowing one hundred and ten point five points per one hundred, according to the NBA. Uh, they're also 17th in half-court defense, according to Cleaning the Glass. Um, so, so what are some of their worst things in terms of bottom 10? Uh, they, like, like John and I mentioned, you know, they just, teams just shoot very well against them. Um, they're, they're, they're dead last 30th in opponent three-point percentage. Teams are making 39% of their threes against the Spurs. 55% of the opponent threes are wide open, so just their attempts are, are fit, more than half are left wide open, and teams make 43% of them. Uh, Memphis actually has the top two games against the Spurs uh, in terms of a p- per percentage of opponent. I mean, threes that are wide open. So, so that was a, basically shows that the Memphis is definitely a, a bad matchup for their defense, their three-point defense. Um, teams also attack them a lot. Uh, they're 29th in terms of, of allowing um, attacks at the, at the restricted area, the closest area to the basket. Uh, teams get in there about 30 attempts. And then, of course, that translates to the Spurs having trouble guarding the paint where they are um, 26th in that category, 49.2 points per game. Uh, so, so, John, what, what, can you say, what, what do you want to add um, or, or just kind of say about some of those, some of those numbers? You know, I, I really love watching uh, Indiana as a, as a stylistic similarity to San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Except the only difference, I think, is that their, their wings are a lot better at closing out on three-pointers 
and funneling them to the rim, which the Spurs don't do at all. Because, obviously, the Spurs are lacking a real rim protection threat outside of Jakob. Yeah. And Indiana has two in their starting lineup with Miles Turner and Demontis Sabonis. Uh, it, it, it's one of those things where it's just like, you see Memphis shoots 50% from three in two games against the Spurs, and then the next night, granted it's a back-to-back, but they go into Indiana and lay an absolute egg where 70 of their shots end up coming inside from the three because they can't get a three-pointer to go off, and they can't get those looks that the Spurs are giving up. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, it's one of those things. I, I know communication is going to be key, but maybe that the defense kind of helps out with the switching and closing out with Derek White back, but you don't want to put all that pressure on just him and DeJounte to close out on these guys. You want to see Keldon be able to do that. Lonnie needs to be a lot better at closing out and rotating on defense instead of being pointed to where he needs to go every once in a while. And maybe those minutes to Devin Vassell end up finding being found somewhere. And I think with the injuries to LaMarcus and with Rudy being out, that kind of opens up those minutes to see if Devin is available to close out more. Uh, maybe Jakob starts and you start seeing them funnel them to the rim more. There's just so many different things that it's just personnel-wise, they're not going to be great defensively no matter what. The losses end up coming from the offensive end because they can't keep up with those teams if they start giving up those threes like that, which is the exact same problem they had last year. Yeah, no, for sure. And then it was very telling that that Coach Pop in this game against Minnesota, he actually closed with Devin. He gave him those fourth quarter minutes, and he actually um, didn't even play uh, Lonnie and Kelton that final quarter. You know, it was Devin, um, DeRozan, Derek White, DeJounte Murray, and, and Patty Mills, and Trey Lyles also, and Jakob that filled out those those last minutes for the team uh, in that fourth quarter comeback against Minnesota. So, again, uh, you know, you know, again, like if, if some of these players, you know, um, aren't, aren't getting their, you know, producing, <coughs> producing on the defensive end, Pop's ready to bring in Devin, and he knows that that's one thing that Devin's going to do is he's going to produce on the defensive end no matter what. I mean, his, his stats just pop off the charts uh, for Devin, um, even though, you know, despite being a rookie. Um, so, so some areas that, that they're continuing to maintain and, and, you know, holding down the Ford is, um, you know, their top 10 and are, um, you know, keeping teams off the free throw line, their fifth in opponent free throw rate. Um, you know, they, they, they do a good, you know, they, in terms of accuracy, the teams are only making 59.9% of their shots uh, at the rim against the Spurs or in the restricted area, which is sixth in the league. But again, you're giving up a lot of attempts when teams are getting in there so many times. And then, you know, as bad as the three-point percentage is, um, the attempts are still low. But again, that's more so, I think, because of just kind of the style the Spurs play. So the teams are only getting 32.6 um, attempts. Uh, and and I, I would note that, you know, we're going to get into this in a little bit, but a lot of that those the, those low numbers in terms of accuracy at the rim, that's due to the bench. That's due to Rudy Gay's performance. That's mm-hmm. due to um, Jakob Pertl. Um, deterring players from from scoring well there. So what, what do you what do you want to say about their what they're kind of good what they're good at on defense? It's just fundamental basketball, which is really good. And I think that was a big issue last year that they didn't have any kind of fundamentals to rely on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's good to see that the young guys have developed that uh, propensity to play defense without fouling, and that they're really good at not turning the ball over. Because I remember when we talked in preseason, I you know was really hesitant about Dejounte Murray being a primary ball handler and trying to drive more. And I know Ben had mentioned last week that, you know, he doesn't seem to have that confidence driving and he kind of pulls up a little bit, but he's able to not uh, not force anything. And th- those turnovers are helping the team a lot because in transition, at least if they miss a shot, the entire team is going back and being able to stop the ball and try to execute a little bit better in the half court. And some of these bad teams, we've seen that they, they have a faster pace because they're just going and trying to find the first three-pointer or the first drive to the basket, and then that's it. So if they can take advantage of those bad teams, especially with their strength of schedule being almost dead last the rest of the season or the rest of this first half of the season, that's where they should actually thrive and win a couple more games. 
Hmm. Okay. So, so yeah, that's, that's something to watch. Um, and again, like, like we, like we kind of mentioned earlier, you know, with, with the injuries to LaMarcus and Rudy, we'll see, you know, which, which players can, can step up, especially, um, Jakob there, who's getting the start right now at the center. So let's go to move on to our, our last topic uh, of this episode. And that's, uh, you know, I want to shine this player spotlight. I, been going through all the players, and so we haven't visited Jakob Pertl, and he had a really good strong game, by, by the way, you know, a little bit of recency <laughs> bias coming off against, uh, where he had 19 points um, against the uh, Timberwolves recently on on, uh, on Wednesday evening. So let's go to begin with, with Jakob. Let's first talk about his base stats. You know, obviously we know this, you know, when you look at his box score, it doesn't really pop off the page. 5.9 points per game, 62% shooting. Uh, one thing you've seen, though, is that, you know, Pop actually needs him in the fourth quarter, so you've seen him close a few games. Well, then now, all of a sudden, there's, there's this new thing called hack-a-yak, so he needs to work yeah. on that, that free throw percentage, but I mean, it's also a, a compliment to him that that you know that pops actually throw him in the, in the fire there in the fourth <clears throat> he really relies on him to close out games but now you know now he's got to know that hey if you're going to be relied upon well then teams are going to target you for for one of your weaknesses and that's three that's free throw shooting so um, we've seen that that hack a yak strategy um implemented by a few coaches now in, the, in these last few games uh so he is shooting 26 percent of the free throw line that's obviously a concern um 6.3 rebounds 1.9 assists one turnover and 1.2 blocks let's first john spend some time talking about the defense because i mean uh, you know, Yaka playing more minutes and just uh, getting getting a, a larger role, I think is going to be a way for the Spurs to improve defensively if that happens, though. Uh, so so let's see here. So defensively, uh, he leads the team in defensive field goal percentage, 37.7%. Uh, contested shots per 36 minutes, uh, 19.3. He leads the team. Uh, he's first among rotation players in blocks per 36 minutes at 2.1. Um, opponents, according to Clean the Glass, opponents scored 13.4 points per 100 less when he's on the floor, which is in the 96th percentile amongst amongst all bigs. Uh, teams take 2.5% less shots at the rim, uh, and, and but they take 3.3% more um, threes, according to Clean the Glass. Uh, teams shoot, this is a big one, teams shoot 11.6% worse at the rim, 99th percentile. The only other bigs who, who, who allow um, less uh, shooting from that area as the bigs are Brooke Lopez and Miles Turner, a player who you just referenced a while ago with the Indiana yeah. defense. Uh, and they also, you know, they're also shooting 1.7% worse from three and 4.6% worse from mid range. Uh, and then also, also, you know, I know today how the Spurs are bad in the half court on defense. Well, guess what? When Jakob's on the floor, uh, teams are scoring 9.4 points per 100 less in the half court, according to Clean the Glass, which places him in the 94th percentile, which is you know, you know, you know, really good for, for him. Uh, so, so let's, so just kind of give me some of your thoughts on Jakob's defense. I think it's very good to see that he his defense has improved to the point where he lets those other wings kind of just stay home on their defender and be able to mm-hmm. switch on their own. Uh, and I think that you know I think it's pretty evident as much as we haven't seen Trey Lyles this year. Uh, Trey Lyles was a plus nine last night because he has just the ability to close out that LaMarcus doesn't when LaMarcus is contending shots from 15 feet away. (laughs) Uh, So it's good to see that, you know, at least Jakob has deterred teams from going into the paint and getting the shots they kind of crave. And it, you know, it eases the the burden on the Spurs to not allow as many threes too. But uh, I think it's just where, where he kills the team is obviously what we're about to talk about is offense. Yeah, so so that's obviously that's the, that's the area where, where you're going to see you know why why um at this point you know why, why Lamarcus um, starts and why why they're going to continue to keep him there. Uh, so his shot profile on offense, um, ninety seven percent of his shots come in come in the paint. Seventy one percent of of his, he's making seventy one percent of his, his restricted area shots and forty three percent of his, his hook shot range shots. Uh, it's a very small sample size, but the Spurs are starting to post him up a little bit. He's had twenty one post ups this year, uh, making sixty seven percent. Whenever he posts up, he's more likely to pass the forty eight percent chance he passes than just a. 20 
29% chance he shoots. So again, it's, it's not a, a major thing that, he, that he's posting up. But they, you know, they give him his post-ups every now and then. And then he, he's he's really good about grabbing the offensive board. Um, 14, he has a 14.3% offensive rebound percentage according to Cleaning the Glass, which places him amongst the 93rd percentile amongst amongst bigs. Now, this is obviously a, a one-night a one, one thing, but uh, he had a career, he had a season high in points um, on on Wednesday against the Wolves when he scored 19 points with 18 of those points coming in the paint again <laughs> again off rolls. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, his teammates just kind of feeding him off offensive rebounds, um, and then you know getting those little jump hooks to go in as well. Uh, but but like like John mentioned there, um, you know, he just doesn't space the floor and he's not able to you know hit the mid range consistently or or even step out to the three point line. So what do you want to say about his offense? I you know I I think the what. Where it gets bad is I, I want to touch on two of the guards real quick, two of the young guys, which is Kelvin and Lonnie. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys, I think, you know, they're kind of a little, a, both in a little bit of a slump, and we saw why last night they didn't really play that fourth quarter. Uh, these guys are tired. Let, let's just be brutally honest. Both guards are tired. Uh, Kelvin's already doubled his minutes this season off of last year, and it, that's through 22 games, and after he only played 17 last year, Lonnie's almost reaching – he's about – two-thirds of the way there in 22 games, which is a third of the games he's played last year. And it comes to the point where Lonnie isn't very good at driving, and Keldon is starting to be scouted better to the point where they're realizing he's only going to drive. 82% yeah. of Keldon's points come off of drives. Like, that, they, they've, we've learned that. We, everyone knew, at least that who's watched Austin and who kind of scouted out Keldon before, he's not the best shooter. What we saw last year, especially in the bubble, was just a complete blip. That's not actually Keldon. Keldon's very much going to attack the rim on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lonnie, on the other hand, Lonnie, there's there's 142 players in the NBA who have over 140 drives to the basket this season. Lonnie is ranked 136th out of those 142 in field goal percentage. And it's one of those things, you know, I know a lot of it, Lonnie's uh, athleticism will allow him to kind of try to go dunk the ball, and he decides maybe last minute to throw up a George Gervin little finger roll or an off-balance layup or shot. But those little things, his inability to convert and Keldon being scouted out to where he's only going to drive, increase that burden on Jakob's offense, which is what you don't want. Because if once you pinpoint Jakob into the point of, hey, he's only going to post up or you can just hack him and get him to the free throw line, Lonnie's not going to convert unless he's maybe shooting, and Keldon's just going to drive into the paint and clog it. Yeah, it just it. You, where's the offense going to come from after that? Because Demar is not this three-point shooter either. That's you know, and Patty Mills is only going to relieve so much pressure if you just can stay home on him if he's not rotating around Jakob. So those passouts are just probably going to lead to another drive, and that's where you hope that maybe Jakob's offense comes more off of those putbacks, and he doesn't get hacked. I don't understand. I know the mental block. He's mentioned it that it's a mental block with the free throw line, but that's just somewhere where he's got to improve. Mm-hmm. Really badly because I mean it, you're costing the Spurs points there, and if if you start pigeonholing Lonnie and Keldon as well, now 60% of your offense is just completely predictable, and that just leaves the burden to the other two players who maybe Derek White does relieve some of that, but you know it, you've got you need more than just that one person. So maybe the Vassell minutes increase, maybe Rudy stays out more, maybe that's where you start playing Lamarcus and Jakob together because you know Lamarcus has been really good from mid range has been a lot better from three, but you kind of hope with his injury history this season and maybe whatever future relies on, you know, trade rumors coming up and all that stuff. It, it, it's just so many different questions on the offensive end. Like, Jakob is probably going to stay on the bench for a long time now until he can develop maybe that hook shot a little bit more consistently 
or until the Spurs can find someone to relieve that pressure in the paint and shoot more from the outside so he can be more effective in, in the interior. Uh, okay, okay. And, and some things you really brought up that, that really made me think was uh, what you said there about, about Kelton and, and just the fatigue part. Because I, I, like, I feel like the numbers show it in terms of, like, especially on the, on the second out of back-to-backs, you can really see how he just – you know Kelton's tired when he's not attacking the paint, when he's not even yeah. trying to get into the paint. That's, you know, you know he, he, his, his legs aren't there for that night. And then Lonnie, I guess I don't see it as much uh, on the offensive end because, again, he doesn't consistently – that's kind of the one thing you want. All of a sudden, when you know, when DeRozan's out for two games, he, t- he scores like 12, 14 points in the paint, and then he just doesn't do it again. Uh, so that's why it's a little bit harder to see. But I think one area we could see that Lonnie's fatigued as well is in his off-ball defensive activity. His his numbers just don't you know really really um, you know move a lot on on the on terms of off-ball activity in terms of like deflections and steals and things like that. You just yeah. don't see it, you know whereas you see it from all the time from like Dejounte and Devin Vassell. So maybe that's an, also an area where, where he where maybe it does show some fatigue and, and um, you know and Pop did also say that you know Lon, Lonnie's you know kind of struggling right now. Uh, just these last few games, and and he kind of admitted that uh, there. And we saw, you know, just based on his on his substitution pattern on this game against Minnesota, where both players didn't even play uh, there in the fourth. So again, that, that's some good ob- observations by you. And yeah, I mean, there, there's two parts of why I think that you know Jakob definitely won't won't start right now. It's obviously one is that Lamarcus is one of your one of your um you know key players. Uh, uh, for for the team, but then also too is like, like you mentioned there the offensive spacing and and one thing I did notice as great as I've said all these numbers about Jakob a lot of that's a lot of these numbers though come when he's off when he's playing with the, with the bench unit because not only yeah. is Jakob great off the bench Rudy Gay is one of the top players on defense uh, Devin Vassell Patty Mills even has some really good defensive statistics league wide uh, so again it's just that their bench is really good so that that's another part of to consider is that is that Jakob is playing against a lot of second playing against a lot of second units uh, and so a lot of his minutes I mean a lot of his stats do come from that second unit. Um, and, and and again, uh, you know, we, we don't know if 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 he were to get a, get that that starting spot permanently, you know, you know how much you know what the offense will harm them. But you know, I, in my opinion, I would obviously try it out just because again, even on offense, they're like seventeenth or nineteenth as of this conversation you are, you and I are having. It's just not even working out. But anyway, it's just something to watch. Um, now that you mentioned that, though, do you think if they were to start, like who who would you honestly bench if if you start Jakob and try to put on that bench unit? Who do you who do you bench in that? So see, okay, so I'm a little torn here. So. I would just I would honestly go back to the to the to the bubble group except uh, instead of Lonnie starting I would start Kelton. So remember the bubble was um, D- Murray, um, DeRozan, White, uh, Jakob, and, and yeah. Lonnie. Okay, so I would have that same five man unit except that I would have um, uh, a Kelton starting. But again, like you mentioned there, there becomes a problem though with spacing because like Kelton and Jakob kind of really really uh, hurt the space along with DeRozan, yeah. so that becomes an issue. So I just don't know. I mean, but I also feel like Pop wants to just get the max out of Kelton. Uh, you know, see what he can get out of him um, on both ends. So, so I mean, I, I think it's it's an interesting question. I obviously don't even think that Jakob would even start just because you know, unless unless Lamarcus, think, unless he were to get traded or something, I, I just can't see them moving <laughs> Lamarcus to the bench. And that reminds me, Warriors Twitter was already putting out Lamarcus trades yesterday just because oh, <laughs> just because of the injury news. Yeah, yeah, I think I saw a couple of Kelly Oubre's to San Antonio trades, which I, I don't know how I feel about that just yet. But <laughs> you know, I I think it's really interesting just to just to think about. You know, I've, I think I've racked my brain around that so many times of just wondering, well, if you start Jakob, who's, who sits? And I think, you know, maybe Lonnie sits. I think Lonnie, maybe you keep him engaged that way on offense and defense by letting him be more of a primary scorer. But yeah. I, I don't know. 
Yeah, no, no, and and you know, one thing I, you know, I, I pretty much because I told Joe, Joe Garcia this is recently on the Spurs rewind is I think that eventually once Derek you know gets his conditioning back and he gets his, his legs under him, he's gonna eventually go back to the starting lineup, and I think that Lonnie would yeah, be the player. Sure. And, and normally I would say that's a good thing because Lonnie, you know, I think that he just needs more of a role on offense to get going. Like cause, you know, it it, it it definitely shows that in those two games that when Demar had a miss, you know, due to, to his, his family concerns uh, and reasons, uh, Lonnie really just stepped up and just got so much more aggressive in terms of attacking and, and really being an initiator. And, and we've obviously. Seen seen him not do that the rest of the time since uh, you know the, the majority of the guys have been back but you know the other part of that is that if he were to go to the bench well then uh, Patty's actually stepped up his aggressiveness so it kind of gets a little bit tougher and Rudy obviously does 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 his thing as well off the bench so so even though it looks like there's some minutes there for like somebody to become an aggression aggressive player on the offensive end I, I don't know though because how, how well Patty and, and Rudy are playing um, as well off the bench yeah, I think our, you know, I think you referenced Trevor earlier. He made a good point on Twitter earlier, and I hate to give Trevor credit. He knows that. <laughs> but <laughs> Trevor had said something about Lonnie would benefit probably defensively and offensively from playing against more second unit guys instead of primary unit guys. And especially, you know, people that are taller to him are more physical. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe giving him those minutes against more, more other, other teams' benches would probably benefit him. And maybe that's how you solve a lot of the Spurs issues, but obviously this is just more than just one player and more than just the system. It's just personnel wise. There, there's just so many things that the Spurs have to worry about and development. And there's only so much you can do in a shortened season. Yeah, for sure. And so <laughs> th- that's actually also one of my, one of my, one of my things about Lonnie, what's hard to read him, how, how he's doing, because like, for one thing, like, like I mentioned, like you never see his defensive stats, um, you know, pop off the page, like the other players around him. Uh, but then, you know, you do notice that Pop puts him on a lot of the best options, scoring options every game, no matter what. Like, he's just going to keep him, like, like just against the Wolves. He keeps, he keeps him on Malik Beasley, even though Malik Beasley's had really good games. He's had him guard Kawhi Leonard. He's had him guard him, who was a Jason Tatum, I think, the other yeah. one of those games recently. So, yeah, so it's also, like, even though you can say uh, his, his defense, I mean, I can say, you know, his defensive stats don't look very impressive like some of the other players. It's also that Pop has a lot of trust in him in terms of, of who he wants him to be out there. So, so again, we'll kind of see what happens uh, with Lonnie going forward and, and of course, as Derek White, you know, continues. Continues to get to get to get healthier and get get his get his uh, legs back under him. Uh, so let's go to get ready to close out this show. Uh, make sure that Project Spurs listeners that you are going to um, ProjectSpurs.com when you get a chance. Um, Steven, Steven Anderson's providing his analysis after each and every game. Um, Michael DeLeon's providing um, game previews before each each game that the Spurs plays or, or some, of, some of those games before they, they play. Uh, Benjamin Bornstein's continued to, to, to get ready for the draft um, with his latest, latest prospect watch over Luca Garza. And then also, we yes. like I mentioned... Yeah, so Luca Garza is a player that uh, another Luca. I, I saw that name today and I was like, oh, another Luca. Okay, let's <laughs> think. Uh, a, qu- a quick Luca update. He's already got sixteen, six and four against Ohio State. Let's go, Luca. Watch. All right, so so there's a Luca Garza. I, you know me. I don't watch college basketball, so I have no <laughs> today was my first time seeing that guy's name, and I'm like, okay, until the draft comes. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, like, yeah. So anyway, so ben, so sportscast listeners, you, uh, you know, Ben's great for that because he, he keeps me informed when I read his pieces about these players. Uh, and then also, um, just make sure you're checking out. Um, uh, also on the weekends, if you're, uh, you know, if you have some time, check out our Spurs Rewind show that we've been, uh, we've launched with Joe Garcia. We've gone through two episodes now. The last one was with, um, with, with uh, Carl Schoening, uh, Joe Garcia, and myself. Uh, and so we have different Project Spurs writers kind of rotating in and out. It's, it's a really cool show just to, to recap the week and just also get some some, fans, <coughs> some some questions from listeners and fans and, you know, just tackle a bunch of different topics. All right. So thanks again to John for joining me here on the Spurs cast and, and also to Michael DeLeon for mixing and producing this episode from all of us at Project Spurs. Stay safe. Stay safe. Thank you.